And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic Hello everybody and welcome once again to The View from the Lane, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I'm Danny Kelly. And I'm joined on the podcast today by Jack Pitbrook and James Moore, both, of course, stalwarts of The Athletic. This is not live, but it feels very live because a few minutes ago, we learned from The Athletic's David Ornstein that Adama Traore, Spurs' main target throughout the entire January transfer window, will almost certainly not be joining the club. Instead, he's going to Barcelona on loan. Jack, tell us more about this. So this is a story that David Ornstein has just written, which we've just published, saying that the move for Traore to go to Tottenham is all but off and that Barcelona are now in pole position to sign him from Wolves. The story says that Traore is reluctant to play at right wing back, which is has long been Paratici and Conte's plan for the player during this transfer window. And it's kind of amazing uh, that it's come to this, given that it's the 27th of January. He's been, I think I first did the story on Tottenham targeting him on the 6th of January, I think. So all the way through the window, you know, even, even from before the window, the priority at Tottenham was new attacking right wing back. They decided on Traore. They've been looking at Traore for weeks and now it's not going to happen. And, you know, yeah, there's still four days left and maybe they will get somebody in. I'm sure that I think they probably will get somebody in, but it's it's pretty bad that Tottenham should be in this position? Well, look, I promised myself and I promised the listeners that I, this was not going to be too negative, the, uh, this podcast, because we, as you say, we are 27 days into the transfer window. And as far as I can see, Spurs have so far managed to move Jack Clark, despite having not one, but two very high-profile directors of football or whatever their phony baloney titles are. So I'll try not to be too negative, but James, I want to get your instant reaction to the news that Spurs' is number one target it's obvious they put a load of effort into this and 27 days of work uh, has been trumped by, I presume, a 27-second phone call from Barcelona. Yeah, I mean, I I have to admit, I mean, I, and, and I think I said this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, I wasn't entirely sold on Traore as the solution to all of, um, to all of Tottenham's problems at right wing back. But clearly, if he was therefore first choice and he was the player that Conte and Paratici wanted for that position, then... It's quite a big problem if we get to this stage of the window now, like you say, four days from the end as we record, and suddenly they've been, uh, maybe not even gazumped by Barcelona, but Barcelona just kind of strolled in and taken him while Spurs have been faffing around. I mean, I do very much get the impression that this deal has been kind of all but done effectively. You know, I think there was a bit of distance between the two clubs on the fee, but it sounds like it was all quite close. And I just get the sense maybe that Spurs were waiting just to see if anything else comes up, which we know. And I think Jack and Charlie have both said before, that's the way Paratici likes to operate. And to be fair, the way Levy has done things before in the past as well. 
And you do wonder whether that might have just cost them their, their first choice player, just the fact they were waiting and waiting and waiting and then Barcelona have come in at the last minute and decided, oh, actually, we quite fancy getting him on loan. Uh, we'll, we'll take him back instead. One thing I do want to add on this is that I do think that I have got the impression the last few days Tottenham have got slightly cold feet on Traore and that they're clearly this week Diaz has become the priority rather than Traore. Now, you know, regardless of whether or not you think that's a good idea or whether or not you think they'll get Diaz, I think that has been the situation. And so I don't... My impression is that this news is not going to come as a huge surprise to Tottenham. And that rather they've you know, had a had a slight change of heart. But I guess the question there is who who is it that's had the change of heart? If it's if it's Levy and Paratici or Hitchin or a combination of any of those any number of those three people rather than Conte, is that is that gonna cause problems if Conte has been desperate for this solution to what he deems a problem position from what we can gather? And now suddenly you know, the club are going after a... I mean, he's a winger, really, isn't he, Diaz? He's, a, he's, a, he's an attacking player, which, I mean, mm. if he's a winger, by the way, he's not going to fit in this team. Where's he going to play? I mean, they can only see that he can play in one of those two positions up front if they play with the two or with three if they play over three. But then, you know, we're going into that midfield issue again. He's currently playing on the left wing for Porto and cutting it onto his right foot. Like Son. Maybe Tottenham's best player. So the plan is to, to take him to another wing and another position at another club in the middle of the season. That's the plan. Look, look in the Athletic, in the last 24 hours, our great and beloved colleague, Charlie Eccleshare, has written a piece about how Paretici operates. Now, I don't want to shoot the messenger here. Charlie has, has reported exactly what it's worth. I mean, I found the whole thing absolutely bewildering. This idea that he spins a load of plates so that if plate A drops off, let's call it Adama Traore, you've got a backup. I mean, I get that to some extent, but sooner or later, you have to, in the in the words of Wittgenstein, shit or get off the pot, don't you? I mean, this waiting to see what falls into your lap, it may have worked at Juventus, where you get highly paid to qualify almost automatically for the Champions League, rather than go to Spurs, where it's a struggle every year and there's a glass ceiling. What did you make? Not of Charlie's, not of Charlie's piece, because it was really properly written piece and everything, but of the actual content, James. Uh, yeah, that, I had to admit that does alarm me as well. And I mean, again, it is kind of in keeping with what we've said about and what James Horncastle has said about Paratity as well uh, on the Athletic. I, and I know I would agree with you when you're doing that at Juventus, and you know that m- most players are going to be pretty keen to play for Juventus, not least because they can chuck a load of money at them as well. Or certainly, more than Spurs could probably afford to. M- maybe that's changed slightly in the last couple of years. It's certainly much easier to go to a player in the last few days at the window and say, oh, you know, if you had the impression you were fourth choice before, by the way, that that wasn't maybe quite accurate. And actually, you were the one that we always wanted, really. And that this other bloke, let, let's just call him a Darmatoriari, he wasn't really the player we were actually after. We were after you. Because if you're Juventus, you can kind of probably, you've probably got enough clout. You can get away with that. But if you're, if you're Tottenham and you're, what, like seventh in the Premier League, you know, with a good chance of getting in the Champions League, sure. But... It's probably not quite as surefire a thing for a player as it would be if it was a club who, like you say, were like more or less certain to qualify for the Champions League. Although actually this season, I'm not sure that is the case. You Promise you they will. Okay, no, I take I yeah. take your word for it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I can see the logic of doing it, and I'm sure it ha- has worked for him before, uh, and I'm sure it's worked for lots of clubs before. But it definitely can make you look stupid. And we're now four days away from the end of a transfer window with this 
I mean, maybe not quite a gaping hole in the squad, but certainly a position where we think Spurs really, really need a player and really, really want a player. And I mean, look, we can't read everything into like transfer rumours. We shouldn't. However, obviously, of course, the, the, the stuff that we report on The Athletic is not rumour. It's all uh, copper bottom, copper bottomed fact. Yeah. But there haven't been many other players mentioned for that position, I don't think, have there? That I can think of. I mean, Jack, tell me if I'm wrong, but I just don't think there have been. I mean, it's, it, it, it is quite literally my job to know, and I don't know. Like, I don't know yeah. what other right wing backs they might go for. If I if I had a name, I'd throw it in. I'd mention it now, but I... But I mean, there can't be that. I mean, they were, t- they were signing a winger to do it, right? There, yeah. there aren't that many. Like... The, wor- like, the world is not full of very good, viable right wing backs who can come into the Tottenham squad right now who they can buy in the next few days you know i'm sure some people on twitter will be able to tell me some names of really good players who i don't know much about but as as far as i'm aware at this moment on what day is it thursday lunchtime i just don't know i mean i think i wouldn't be surprised if for example matt doherty starts playing more over the second half of the season i thought he was really good in the second half but let's go back back to filbert street at the king mm-hmm. power stadium and you know he obviously he's played far more frankly in the last few weeks than i thought he would do given the fact that Tottenham were trying to send him back to Wolves as part of the Traore deal earlier in the month. But I don't know. It's, you know, it's a mess, ultimately. It's a mess. I don't want to um, make us even more of a laughing stock, but he's only 31, you know, Victor Moses. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, surely he could do a shift up and down there in a con- the Conti system, as it's being called. They need someone who can hit the ground running. You know, they need someone who can learn. They don't want somebody who will take six months to learn the context style of play. They want someone who can make an immediate impact. I've heard worse ideas. I mean, well, there is part of me that thinks, having read the Kieran Trippier interview, uh, which, which Alan Shearer did, which was going to absolutely. There's a small part of me that thinks they should have tried to sign Trippier back. You know, Trippier knows he knows what he's doing. He could learn. He could learn pretty quickly. He's played at wing back, but you know, here we are. We'll come back to Kieran Trippier, but just using him as an example. He was a good footballer for Spurs, a very good footballer, a slight downgrade on Kyle Walker. He was then replaced, I think, by um, Serge Aurier, who I liked more than most people, was probably a bit of a downgrade on Kieran Trippier. And so it goes on and on till now we've reached the stage of downgrade where Spurs' right, right back is nobody. There is nobody. Now, Emerson, we overpaid for to, to Barcelona. And, and you can see it in other positions, how from the... The squad the season before they reached the Champions League final, they've been allowed to dribble away uh, less and less and less and less and less. But the piece about Paratici and all the rest of it, he his reputation was based, was, was made at, at Juventus and they, they were particularly skillful before they fired the huge amount of money at Cristiano Ronaldo to actually weaken their team. They did a lot with, with free transfers and things, but is his reputation going to be sullied by a transfer window in the summer where Spurs signed nobody has been immediately successful. Christian Romero has had problems with injuries. I, I, I accept that. And, and one at the moment, which, which makes Spurs look like they're going to be a laughing stock at the end of this transfer window. And there's something that is beyond my knowledge and even beyond Jack's almost omniscient view of world football happens. I mean, it, there is a big question here which is with, with Paratici, which is, do people think Juventus were good because of Paratici? Because I think some people do think that, and it's not true, clearly. Perac- you know, Juventus, before Paratici took what full control over Juventus, Juventus were already very good. 
Conte actually had probably had a much bigger part to play in establishing Juventus as the dominant Italian team of the last decade, more than Paratici did. Now, Conte was the guy who built the team in the first place, which started that amazing run of Serie A titles. And Paratici, as far as I can see, and you know, I'm sure he's clearly very hardworking, clearly knows the game, very well connected. I think there's a lot to be said for him as sure. the guy who can do this job at Tottenham. So I don't want to hammer him here. No, but. He spent a lot of money when he was in charge of Juventus and the team got worse. You know, he spent eight, what, 80 million pounds on Cristiano Ronaldo, yeah. uh, which made the team worse. He sp- brought Emre Chan in on expensive free, Aaron, Aaron Ramsey, Ramsey on expensive free. And yeah, if you're at Juventus, you can afford to you say, oh, that guy's pretty good for Arsenal. Let's pay him 300k a week. But Tottenham just, uh, that's not really how Tottenham operate. And, I, you know, I think it certainly remains to be seen how how the Paratici experiment will play out. There is an argument, and people will give me other names, but there is an argument that the only person whose activities as a football director, sorry, director of football, could say to have really, really been the central to the club's success would be Monchi at Seville in his two spells there, where you could argue that he has been more important than the managers in, in deciding who the players are going to be coming and going and indeed turning over the managers as well. There are probably other examples in the Greek second division that I don't know about. Um, but it, it, it is um, a dangerous basket into, in which to, to place all your eggs. Uh, the director of football is going to come in and make things better. Because it, it could be argued that all he's done, Parashi, is created a buffer between the fans' anger about what goes in and out of the club between their anger and Daniel Levy. He's a fire break for Daniel Levy. Now, I hope he's going to do better than that. Well, what I would say days. about that, sorry, what I'd say mm. about that is, I mean, in, in terms of eggs in baskets, the Spurs haven't put all their eggs in the Paratity basket here, have they? I mean, maybe they did in the summer when they had Nuno as manager, mm. but now they've got this elite coach and manager in charge as well. Clearly, they're not just relying entirely on recruitment. You are There is kind of an emphasis on coaching there again now. I, I hear that. But then I see the cell say, and I agree with you, you've got a, a bunch of uh, reasonably well-paid, well, very, very well-paid footballers, many of whom have very, very high reputations, coach them into a team. That is what a great coach might want to do. But at the same time, you've got the cell same coach at in press conferences, Jack and James, moaning about, you know, we, this, this squad is so far behind, we need to do a lot of this, we need to do a lot of that. Almost, assent- almost essentially saying, I can't do anything with these. That may be a tactic to, to, to liven up Paratici, Hitchin, Levy, whoever. But it, if you're in the Spurs dressing room, you're going, what's he saying? We're no good. I mean, maybe it's a good thing he's not got a press conference this weekend then. Can you imagine it? One thing I would add in Paratici's defence here is that he wanted Traore and they haven't got Traore. Now, if Paratici, when Paratici came in, it was said that he would have total control over the football side. Now, he hasn't been able to sign the player who he and Conte wanted to sign. Now, there's lots of reasons that might be the case, but if he was in total control, I think they probably would have got him. So I don't think Paratici is, even though Paratici is meant to be controlling the football side of the club, clearly it's not just him. There's obviously other people involved as well, including Daniel Levy. So it's not, I'm not entirely, at the moment, I'm not entirely sure how that delicate balance of power is going to play out. And I do think that, I mean, clearly it's uh, it's not as simple as saying that Paratici has complete control of transfers. Let's move on to, uh, since we, we we don't know what spinning plates are incoming at Spurs, let's at least look at the outgoings. I know the two things are linked because of wages and 
places the squads and things. And he updates Jack on, let's call it all the creative midfielders, since they're all going on mass, apparently. Adele Ali, Ndombele, and Lo Celso. No, frankly. Uh, Pochettino wants Ndombele at PSG. This is something that we've we've written about a fair bit over the last few weeks. Ndombele, I think, would be very happy to go to PSG, and Tottenham would be pretty pleased to get him off the wage bill. However, the issue is that I think PSG had to clear the space for Ndombele to come in. PSG would like to loan players back to Tottenham, you know, like a kind of Paredes-type player. That, I think, is a non-starter at the moment. So as it stands, it doesn't look like that one is happening. So there's still four days to go. On on Lo Celso, I gather Sevilla were interested, although I don't know where that stands at the moment. Uh, Lo Celso is obviously off in Argentina with the national team. And Deli Ali, I don't gather there is much current active interest in him. I I suppose I might as well go uh, finish off with Hill then. Is he going back to Spain on loan? Not as far as I know at the time of recording, although you'd see... So there was a report in the Spanish media the other day saying that he was unhappy at Tottenham and Brilliant. Uh, Brian Hill replied with a sort of uh, cry-laughing emoji on Twitter to that news story. That's not to... you know I don't know. You can read into that what you want, but maybe he'll end up staying. At least, James, at least Jack Clark. Bless him. I mean, I, I've got sympathy for Clark. You don't want to see players just never get in a game anywhere. At least he's gone. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I don't. I don't think anyone can pretend that the plan was for this guy to sign for what was it, five million pounds, three years ago, and then end up then end up in League One on loan in the, the second half of twenty twenty one twenty two. But I mean, he needs to play some football. So I, I don't really know what benefit there is for a player. How, how old is he? Sort of twenty. He must be twenty one, twenty two now, presumably. Sure. Yeah. I mean, he needs to be playing competitive football, senior yeah. football, rather than messing around in the twenty threes, probably at this stage. So. I don't think his previous loans at QPR and Stoke have gone amazingly well, from what I, from what I saw and what I gather. So, yeah, he needs he needs that to go well, really, doesn't he? I mean, I don't I don't really envisage there being much of a future for him at Tottenham, given the way things have gone, and particularly given he's a winger and Spurs are now playing without wingers. Although, unless he could play right wing back, maybe. But yeah, it'd be very interesting to see how that goes because obviously he's there now with uh, with Dennis Serkin too. So it's a bit yeah. of Spurs interest there. Let me ask you then, I'm going to go round the table. I'll go last because that way I can leech on your more informed opinions. I can see on the, the screen I'm looking at, we're about four and a half days away from the end of the transfer window. Uh, nobody expected it to be entirely transformative for Spurs, but how optimistic are you that Spurs will get a couple of, at least a couple of these deals in going and, out, and, and outgoing done to at least freshen up, if not transform the squad? This is really hard. Uh, a few days ago, I would have said they'll definitely do a fair bit. But the longer this window goes on, the less likely I think it is that they'll do anything. And I'm now starting, there's now a big part of me that thinks, what if they don't do anything at all? I don't know. Like, I, genu- I know I meant to know, and I'm sorry. That no, I no, no. I mean, nobody could I, know. It's so labyrinthine the way they operate. It is nobody so complex. Could know. And they are trying to do a, they're try- they are trying very hard to do a lot. But I'm stuck. I'm, I don't know. I just, I, I honestly, I'm starting to move towards the position of nobody out, nobody in. As much, but that said, as as much as I, as much as part of me thinks that, at the same time, I think that would feel like such a defeat that I think they will just rush to kind of hurry a few, a few yeah. new guys in. Come on, whether, we, all know, whether, we all know what's going to happen. Whether that's happen. whether that's Amrabat or whoever else, I think I'm. Yeah, him. Uh, right. What's going to happen? Uh, underwhelming. 
with respect, Serie A player, right? And that sounds like Amrabat to me. I, that's not really a reflection on his ability as a player. I just don't know. Right. Um, but it's not it's not one that's really going to set pulses racing. I mean, it sounds like Conte thinks he's a good player, which, you know, is a, is a pretty good recommendation and certainly one that you would take on board. Right, that, one. And two, loan swap with PSG for w- one of those, you know, Julian Draxler, Draxler types. Who, yeah. yeah, it's quite a big name who is clearly not quite at the level he uh, was a few years ago or would have expected to be a few years ago, who PSG are probably quite keen to get rid of. Now Spurs are... A, a, a floundering slightly in these dying days of the transfer window. You can just kind of see, yeah, let's get a kind of sexy player we don't really need and, and, and see how that works out. So I can, th- those are the two. I've said Draxler, but it could be, you know, any any one of a number of players in PSG. I mean, you mentioned Paredes as well. He's another one. He'd probably have to be a slightly better fit, but I don't know if you need. He's a really good Amrabat player, Paredes. Paredes. Yeah, I like him, but would you want both? I mean, maybe they'll just get him. But I don't know. I just kind of feel like that's the kind of thing that they'll do. There'll be some kind of, you know, loan swaps and a couple of cheap ones and, you know, loan with a option or loan with a permanent um, obligation. I, I, I think they'll be like a kind of... They're not going to sign this lad from Porto. I mean, I think, I'd be, I think, I think that's... Honestly, obvious. I would be very surprised they sign him just because, you know, I think it would they be do insanity. want him... It would be insanity. He's clearly a very good player. It would be insanity to go out and bid, like, to go and spend big money on a player like that when you have, like, three other positions where you really need players. Yeah, I mean, I think it has to be irresponsible to do that. Yeah, the story is real. The bid is real. They do want him, but he's got an eighty million euro release clause, so he's he's the best player in the Portuguese league. Porto don't need to sell him for less than the clause, I think. And frankly, it's not like Diaz. It's not like Diaz is desperately pushing to go to Tottenham. Diaz might end up at Liverpool. He'll go to Tottenham if he has to. But it's going to be like Lacelso or Ndombélé aren't going to end up at, or or Doherty aren't going to end up at. Porto. Strange things have happened. I like the way you you say he he might accept he has to end up at Tottenham. Uh, like a, it's a shorter prison sentence if you uh, if you spill your guts to the authorities. Well, that's been the that's been the reporting in the Portuguese media over yeah. the last few days. Has been that you know there's talk that Liverpool are interested and that Diaz has got half an eye on thinking. Well, I could go straight to a, I could I could go to another English Champions League team. Rather than rather than going to Tottenham, so I, I don't know. I mean, I Frank, honestly, I, at this point, I would be surprised if they managed to sign Diaz. Just just to row just to row back slightly, I, I would be very excited if that did happen, but I just don't think it will. All right. Well, I I, I try to remain optimistic, and hopefully, hopefully, uh, everything that um, was suggested by Ch- Charlie Eckersher's piece will come true, and that some of these plates will arrive at White Hart Lane. Though, although in the case of both Adama Traore and Diaz, I'll say this. If players don't want to come to Spurs, don't sign them. It's not good enough to have people just want to serve their time there. It's a difficult enough job already for clubs outside of the that top three elites in the Premier League to try and qualify for things like Champions League or to win a trophy than to have players who are just there seeing out their careers. So if they don't want to come, I'm, I'm happy with that. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello, I'm Adam Hurry, host of Football Clichés, a truly unique podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Twice a week, my guests and I tear apart the language of football the words, the phrases, the mannerisms, and the weird habits of everyone involved in the game. From the shoes that football pundits are legally required to wear, to the didn't play for Sam Allardyce's Bolton but really should have done 11, Football Clichés explores all the tiny things that you didn't realise you cared about, but believe me, you do. Yeah, welcome back to The View from the Lane, the Spurs podcast from The Athletic. The voices you're hearing are me, Danny Kelly, and those of uh, Athletic bigwigs, uh, Jack Pitbrook and James Moore. Earlier, Jack went onto Twitter and asked for your questions. We have got a lot of them. They're very good. We'd like some more as well. So go to at Jack Pitbrook on Twitter and send us more. And we'll try and do more of them on Monday. There's plenty, plenty to, of time in, in this sort of international break to do them. I'm sorry we won't get around to very many of them today, but we really do value them. So go to at Jack Pitbrook and ask your questions. We'll get them in on the Monday version of the podcast. But one that did um, catch my eye was from Dan uh, Kilpatrick, who asks, has the fan base, the Spurs fan base I'm presuming means, ever previously appeared this hysterical on Twitter? And James, I suppose we wear as a badge of courage, we're not as bad as the, a lot of the other end of the Seven Sisters Road, but it is pretty heated at the moment, isn't it, the Spurs fan base? Uh, yeah, I, I would say, I mean, and, and I think Dan knows the answer to this question. This happens every single transfer window, I think. I, I mean, uh, if you cast your mind back to that 2018 summer when they didn't sign anyone, I mean, people were absolutely losing their minds. And and Jack, I mean, as someone who was covering Spurs at that point, I, I'm guessing your at column on Twitter must have been an absolute war zone. Yeah, it was. Although I do, th- I think the comparison with Arsenal is relevant because... 
I definitely. I, mean, you, I used to cover Arsenal quite a bit, and you'd always get these. You get these windows where Arsenal. Remember that summer where Arsenal only signed Peter Cech, for example. You go back to the Emirates for the first game back, and you have all the Arsenal fans singing "Spend some fucking money." And I kind of think that's going to happen. I kind of fear. Part of me fears that might happen when Tottenham play Brighton next uh, next weekend. It'll be too late. Oh, I feel like I feel like there's definitely. I mean, a few people have made this point on Twitter, but I feel like the atmosphere amongst Tottenham fans about signings does replicate what us, you know, the yeah, Arsenal yeah, yeah. experience. I would, I would the last agree with that. Years. So what I mean is, the Brighton game will be too late because it'll be after the end of the draft. Oh game. yeah, yeah. Surely but no, you'll be sing that in the last game. There'll before. be a lot of like pent up frustration, which I think will also carry through to the forthcoming home league games against Saints and Wolves. Yeah, I mean they really are. If they don't sign anyone. If I don't win realistically all three of those games, it could, I, I can definitely see that. I mean, you know, if they win against Brighton and Southampton and then they draw with Wolves, I don't imagine it'll be too bad. But if they get knocked out of the FA Cup or drop points in that Southampton game because it's a because it's the next league game, you just kind of see it being a bit ugly. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, well, you know what's going to get. Lamptey will score the winner uh, for Brighton and then it will kick off, won't it? Oh, yeah, and then everyone will be saying Spurs should have signed Lamptey for. 70 million quid. I mean, I, you know. I, yes, they will. I, 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 do, I completely understand the frustration and I'm incredibly frustrated by it as well because you've got one of the richest men in the world sitting in a yacht, basically sat on a football club that he's not really putting loads of money into or any money into really. So it is actually quite frustrating. But I, I'm not kind of frustrated that they're not spending Manchester City levels of money because that's just never going to happen. By the way, what we're talking about right backs, the one they should sign is uh, Walker Peters because they've got the percentage... Is that right, Jack? Will they have the percentage, effectively a discount, because they've got the buyback or the um, sell-up? Oh, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Get it done. Yeah. I do think there's kind of two, there's like a few different things at play here. One is, obviously, Spurs fans are frustrated by the current direction of the club and the last the, the decline over the last few years. And, of course, the you know, fans always think that that is best solved through not just spending money, but spending money on the right players, which is not something that Spurs have done a lot of in the last two years. I also think, like, kind of mingling with that, there's just... Like, people on Twitter have just generally kind of gone a bit mad about transfers in the last 10 years. Yeah. Like, a, like, people... For a lot of people on Twitter, and this is absolutely not a Tottenham problem, it's true of all fan bases, is they think that signing players is more important than winning football matches. Yeah. And yeah. that... It's like, a state, really it's like a status symbol for fans. Yeah, isn't it? it's about saving. It's about saving face. Yeah, like signing transfers is a bit like I, don't, I mean, having a flash car to people who care about these sorts of things, and that all your football club exists to do is like sign all the right, sign like all these exciting players, and that constitutes saving face as a football club, regardless of really what goes on on the pitch. And I think, and it, you know, there's all sorts of factors for this. I think the main one of which is obviously social media. But that's been a huge change in how people have kind of exper- experienced being a football fan over the course of the last 10 years. And it does, frankly, make the transfer window a lot less enjoyable for everyone involved and turns it into quite a unpleasant, hectic experience. It is, it is the deadline day. It's like the sort of dramatification of deadline yeah. day, though, isn't it? And this isn't just a Sky Sports thing, although I think they were probably leading the queue there. Yeah. The idea that it's like a big event... And it's like, will your club do any deals? It's like a big deal if they don't. And when Spurs didn't sign a player and, you know, we were frustrated that that didn't happen in 2018. But it was such a big story that Spurs said, you know, historically, Spurs, you know, if this is the first time a club hasn't spent money in the track, you know, it just all kind of feels like such a, like like you said, like that's almost as big a deal as winning football yeah. and winning trophies. 
But at least in Sky Sports News era, deadline day was deadline day. But on Twitter, every day is deadline day. That's what makes it so exhausting. Like every day is like deadline day. And it's, you know, I don't blame people for doing this, but you get tweets saying, oh, Diaz updates, Traore updates. And people get so, people get so wrapped up in it. And I, and I think part of this is also, there's also like a social media issue here, which is that in the kind of pre-social media era, if you're a big Spurs fan, the only time at which you would kind of actively be a Spurs fan is if you went to the game. Yeah. Or maybe if you went to like a supporters club or a trust meeting or yeah. you talked about Spurs to your colleagues at work or whatever. But the amount of time in your week in which you're actively being a Spurs fan would only be, I don't know, 10% of your free time, 15% of your free time. Whereas now, because everyone's so online, if you're a, like a big Spurs fan on Twitter, and yeah, of course, this applies to all other clubs as well. You can literally like actively be a Spurs fan 24-7. You can spend your whole life on Twitter, engaging with all the Spurs fans accounts and the aggregators and on Reddit and on Instagram and, and everything. And so people are, I don't know, if, I mean, polarization isn't quite the right word for this, but people are far more wrapped up they're, in they're the immersed, kind of second by they're second They're immersed immersion. in a way yeah. they never were before. And you live it in a way you didn't before. And a lot of that is, is not, I mean, widening this out now, a lot of it is not good for the general vibes of society or individuals' no, really mental bad. health. And I'll tell you for why. Because being a Spurs fan when I was a younger person was, as you say, being positively a Spurs fan for about 10% of my time. I was always thinking about them, but uh, you know, I didn't know I'd get one day paid to talk about them. Um, but now it seems to me your 10% of your time is spent being a Spurs fan or an Arsenal fan or a Chelsea fan, whoever. Um, and the other 90% is spent being defensive about that very fact because people are attacking you, drinking your tears. Mine are now, of course, poisonous. Don't drink them. Drinking your tears, threatening to tear down your house, whatever it is, because you happen to support that football club. We've all gone mad here. Now, I understand social media, 24-hour rolling news, all the rest of it has completely transformed that, but not for the better in some ways because we've all become, and I think we've demonstrated it in this podcast, we've all become slightly obsessional about these things. I want Spurs to have good footballers. I do not want to know the every in and out and mechanic of how they got player X out of Club Y through Corridor Z. Um, as, just, uh, just, and there's one more, just, thing, one more thing, one more thing. And that's why I say I was already in preparing in Twitter, hashtag Traore out, because I'm already bored with him. And he, had, and he never signed for Spurs. I'm bored with him as a Spurs player. Sorry, James. I mean, you say all of that, but oh, well, just, just, just from looking at the message that you put in our WhatsApp group when yeah. uh, when that story broke that Traore yeah. wasn't joining, you have twenty eight angry face yeah. emojis in the message. To be fair, they so clearly you were you were kind of emotionally invested oh, in that transfer. Oh no, only because I wasted so much time reading about it, thinking about it, being told about it, and yet part of me knew when Traore hadn't signed after about six days of these things going back and forth that something else must be afoot, because something else is always afoot. And uh, yes, uh, how, how many how many angry faces did I put in? 28. There was supposed to be punctuation from just from the phrase, I'm so fucking angry about this. An interesting piece involving Alan Shearer when he was talking to Kieran Trippier, where Kieran, I thought, made two int really interesting points about Spurs. One, well, three. One, that he knew he had to move on after the Champions League final. I I still think it's so hard to underestimate just how hurtful the club found that Champions League defeat. I mean, they were lucky to get to the final, let's be honest. But people like me, Pochettino, um, the people were completely deflated by the defeat in the final. But he also said that he... The two, the two big hitters. Yeah, that's right. The important people. The two people, key figures. The important yeah. people. 
Um, Kieran says that in the eight weeks prior, the two months prior to the Champions League final, that Daniel Levy, and Levy hasn't denied this, nor will he, I suppose, has been flogging his ass around other clubs in advance of a Champions League final. And the other one that struck me, James, was the fact that when Moussa Dembele was allowed to leave, the dressing room were bewildered that he wasn't kept on to the end of the season. Although I must say, Moussa was already struggling with injuries by that stage, wasn't he? Yeah. So he, I, I, I've tallied this up this morning. He played like 708 minutes, I think it was, in all competitions that season up to the point that he left in January 2019. That's very exact. Thank um, you. Uh, yeah, so, you know, clearly, I mean, there's a big difference between being a big figure in the starting 11 and a big figure in the dressing room, yes. obviously. Yep. And clearly, he was a massively popular player with the rest of the team as he was with the fans. And again, as ever, I, I will defer to Jack on this, but I think I'm right in saying that he had basically kind of convinced, he was originally going to leave a year before and was convinced to stay for another 12 months. And that was kind of what had been agreed, I think, with Levy and Pochettino long before that. So, you know, he he was kind of on the periphery of a team effectively by that point and had been promised he could leave and wanted to leave to to go to China and have this amazing opportunity, financial, to, to end his career over there. So I don't, you know, I, I mean, look, whether or not they might have won that Champions League final if Moussa Dembele had been in the team or whether things would have been better if he stayed even longer than that into the next season, whether Pochettino maybe wouldn't have had to have left or whatever, or whether it would have been easier to ease and Dembele into the team perhaps. Who knows? But I, don't, I think it's, it's a slight retelling of history, I think, to suggest that it suddenly all went wrong when he left. Yeah, so my memory of this is that Dembele nearly went to China in the summer of 2018, and it nearly happened, and then it didn't, and he stuck around for the first half of the next season and then went in the January. Uh, I completely agree with James. I think the issue was really, it was clear during that half season that Dembele wasn't the player he had been in the last few years. In hindsight, the mistake was not so much selling Dembele in January, I think, as not signing a Dembele replacement in the summer of 2018. That said, signing a Dembele replacement is really hard. Mm-hmm. Like, Dem- you know, if the last five years have taught us anything, it's that. You know, Dembele is a unique player and you can't just go and say, I want a Dembele replacement. I mean, it wasn't one of the players... Sorry, this has just come to me now and I'd completely forgotten about this. Uh, and this may have been a thing you wrote for the Independent at the time, Dad. But I, ve- I vaguely remember the suggestion being... That Pochettino wanted Ross Barkley to be his Dembele replacement. I think I kind of remember that. Yeah, they, I think the idea like it, was it kind of it kind of makes Barkley sense. It didn't seem in, stupid. It kind of yeah, I can he's kind got of that kind of like elegance he's got on that the ball, strength, but physical strength to hold people off. Yeah, and he can hold on to the ball under pressure and keep it while everybody else kind of gets back into position. That kind of thing. I can kind of just about see it. Yeah, I'd I'd vaguely forgotten that, but I do think that was part of the plan. Although, of course, you know, Barkley was one of a long list of players they weren't able to buy. I do think the other thing that really stuck. I thought that Dembele stuff is really interesting. But the other, the other thing worth reflecting on in the Trippier interview is something which I'd always had a sense of, but I'd never heard him say that explicitly. Which is he's not happy about the way that he left Tottenham. And I know I said about half an hour ago that Tottenham might have considered getting him back. But I think you can tell from that interview why that might not why that might not have been possible. You know, clearly having failed to really sell players in 2018. I think Tottenham were determined that in 2019 they should move players on a bit brisker, which is something that, of course, as we said on previous podcasts, Pochettino wanted him to do. And clearly, you know, Daniel, they did try, they tried and succeeded to sell Trippier at that point. But I don't, you know, you can you can tell from Trippier's comments that he wasn't delighted by the way that Tottenham went about it. Yes, and of course, uh, then Kieran added to the uh, vast number of uh, Spurs players who have left the club to go on to win trophies. Somewhere online, there is that ticker that keeps ticking them over. Cameron Carter, Vicar, etc., will be joining those 
probably sometime soon. Anybody got anything up uh, exciting, optimistic to say about the uh, next few minutes of the either this podcast or the, the transfer window itself? I guarantee Spurs sign two players before the end. That's my thank you. instincts, not an athletic exclusive. No, no, thank you very much. Indeed. I don't want to see Hotspur related or whoever tweeting the athletics say. No, quite. It's just, just me saying that. The good news is it's going to be over soon. There's only four days left of the window. And uh, then there won't be another transfer window until the end of the season. And we'll have February, March, April and May to just focus on actual footballers playing actual football on the pitch. And we can argue about who's good and who's bad and what Conte's done and what Conte said and press conferences. And, you know, is is Kane back? Is Doherty back? Is Hoybier good or bad? Dyer, good or bad? (laughs) And Dombele. and Dombele, good or bad, he if he stays. Here? Why is he there? Is he going to come back? Is this going to be a renaissance for Ndombele? We can have, like, is Harry Winks' quality on the ball? Does he make a big difference? Do they need to be stronger defensively? We can argue about formations. We can do all of that stuff and not have to talk about transfers until the summer. You can really tell it's taken a toll on Jack this month, can't you? It has. I'm not enjoying it at all. No, no, and I, I, I don't like it either. I don't like being told over and over again, this is happening, that's happening, and nothing is actually happening. Listen, uh, it's been an, an, an education talking to the pair of you. I can't say it's been particularly enjoyable because this has been a very strange <laughs> morning indeed. I leave you with the fact that uh, Spurs have got through, you know, a few hours left now to sort out their team if they want to. If not, and I agree with, uh, J- with Jack 100% here, if not, they're just going to have to coach them a little bit better. Uh, and listen, if, all that stuff, of course, is contained hour by hour, day by day, and second by second in The Athletic. And if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, uh, you can read all of our articles on Spurs, including that Trippier interview with Alan Shearer and Charlie's piece on Paratitude, which I recommend to you, as well as anything else on the site by simply going to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. And right now you can get 33% off a full subscription. We'll be back on Tuesday next week, Tuesday, for a comprehensive review of Spurs' January transfer window business and the return, <laughs> the return of proper football. The start of the Julian Draxler era. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. The Athletic.